In the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We will continue our study in the book of Second Samuel, chapter 1. Just kind of a, a quick review so we all know where we are. We know that Saul, the king, died. David was anointed a king, but he was never physically a king because Saul was in charge at that point. After Saul and Jonathan died, David remained in the area where he was and he started repenting because he was far away from God for a while. He was living under the Philistines and he was lying and he was acting like a criminal. So he started to repent a bit more. And at that moment, last time, if you guys remember, he got the news about the death of Saul, the king and Jonathan. So Saul had four children. Saul and three of his children died in that last war with the Philistines. Okay? So today, we're going to start by seeing David's reaction to the death of Saul and Jonathan. We're going to see David's reaction to the death of Saul and Jonathan. Now, just before we go into here, I just want, to, I want you to keep something in mind. Saul is a king. So there are two, two things parallel happening. Saul is a king. So according to the worldly standard, his child should be the next king. So three of his children died, so there's one still living. But David is the one who's anointed by God. And that's important because we will see that David will spend about seven years after the death of Saul where he is only a king over a small area. And sometime, even if you guys remember the life of St. Paul, when our Lord appeared to him in the road of Damascus, he spent about seven years in the desert before he started his service. And sometime you might say, Lord, you have the perfect man for the job. You've been preparing him. Why wait? Waiting is one of the most important training in our life. Why? God's nature is long-suffering is perseverance, is patience. And God wants his children to learn that. But also God wants us to know that he is controlling everything. Even the time when Saul, as an evil king, was in charge, God still was working. Even the time when David is not in charge, but another weaker king that will be in charge, God's still working. Even though God has a plan for David to come, but God's plan for David to come, by the way, was never for the time of the kingdom at hand as much as pointing toward the work of our Lord that's coming later on. So it's a much bigger plan than anybody would have thought. David is the perfect example of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. In the way, in the way, in, obviously not in the way he sinned, but in the way he lived his life as a king, in the way he was faithful, in the way he was faithful to the commandments of God, and he was genuine, and he's a pure heart. And we'll see today an example of David being a pure heart. So now after, after Saul and Jonathan died, we're going to start from verse 17. David wrote an eulogy because he felt so sad for the death of Jonathan and, and Saul. So it says here, then David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son. And he told them to teach the children of Judah the song of the, of the bow. Indeed, it is written in the book of Jashar. So what's happening here? 
There's a book called the Book of Jashar, and this is a book where they used to keep a collection of national and military writings. So he told him, I want you to keep this song in your books, in your military writing. So when you go into war, when you go into training, when you're doing whatever it is, this song, you will, be, you will sing it. Okay? Now, we're talking about a quality of David the prophet that is very important for all of us too. David will write a song for Saul, his biggest enemy, the person who tried to kill him. And not only this, that if Saul was a good king, usually when some a leader comes and takes over another leader, he wants people to forget the person in the past. And everybody has to look at me. I'm the new leader who came in. I'm the savior. Right? And you see this, people change history to make sure that their own revolutions, their own whatever it is, is the right one. David doing actually the opposite. He's making sure that people remember Saul and Jonathan. And I want to tell you guys something important. In our life, we go to service, we go to work, we do many things. If I don't remember those who were before me, a part of our identity will be lost. You know, I remember one time I had a professor from school. She came and she prayed the liturgy with us here. It was his first time to attend a, a Coptic Orthodox church. And she wanted to attend the liturgy until the last minute. Then after, after, after we finished, I was asking for her, for her impression. One of the things she mentioned was so beautiful. I asked her, what is your favorite part in the liturgy? And she told me the commemoration of the saints. And in my mind, I said, this is the, one of the parts that a lot of people think it's boring. We're just say, saying names, right? But then she said, I felt I'm connected. I felt I have a family. I felt I belong. When people come and say, I am the church that Abuna Bishoy Dimitri used to serve in. I am in the church that Abuna Bishoy Kamil used to serve in. You feel a sense of identity. It's important for us to remember those who were before us. It gives all the people what identity. The other thing I want to keep in, you, in our mind is this is an example that David's eulogy is an example of pure heart. David did not hold grudges against him. He was genuinely sad that Saul died. It is very common for us as people to remember the bad and forget the good. But David looked at Saul from a beautiful eye. And I, I, I might have mentioned this before, but I think it's important for us to try to, try to do this exercise this, this week. There is, a, there is a label in your head almost for every person that comes. Right? So every time you see a person, you say, this person is going to take too much time. This person is too needy. This person is nice. This person is sweet. This person is... You, you have labels in your head. And these are the lenses that you see people through. But David the prophet... He saw Saul through a beautiful lens. And we're going to see the lens he saw him. Saul was far away from God. He actually tried to kill David multiple times. He was not following the commandments of God. 
But David did not judge him for this. Let's see how David saw him. The beauty of Israel is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. David the prophet, by the way, the beauty of Israel is slain. In some translation, you're going to find it the glory of Israel is slain. Other translation will be the gazelle of Israel lies slain. The word gazelle, you know, like the word gazelle usually reflects beauty. Well, in Middle Eastern, you know, like she's gazelle, you know, like beautiful. You know, this is like the same expression that people use in the old days. But like, is the gazelle of Israel, the beauty of Israel is what is fallen. What is he saying? David said that Saul used to keep the honor of the kingdom. When a king comes to visit us, when we have a big event, there is a beautiful palace and a beautiful place and somebody they can talk to. He was the place, a destination for everybody else. He's saying how the mighty have fallen. How did this happen? That a strong man, a beautiful man, the beauty of Israel died, obviously died in the battle with his own, his own sword. Why is this important? David is praising Saul for something that is so obvious. I mean, he is the king. He lives in a palace. When you have a foreign visitor, he's going to come. He is like the attraction side of Israel. But he sees this as something special. You know, like when you come to somebody and be like, you know, like somebody complains about their parents, for example. And you'd be like, yes, but your parents are paying the bills, they're working, they are doing this, they're doing that. And you'd be like, well, that's what they're supposed to do. And then, well, you're not seeing the beauty of the person in front of your own eyes. You're already taking a lot of things that people do for granted. And once we take a lot of the things that people do for granted, then I start only seeing the criticism. I don't see their beauty. So here he's telling them, the beautiful one has died. Look at verse 20, he says, tell it not in Goth. Goth is where Goliath is from. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. This is one of the cities of the Philistines. Lest, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. He's telling them, don't tell anybody that Saul is dead. Otherwise, the enemy will rejoice. Obviously, David is a poet. Already people know that David, that Saul is, is, is dead and people are going to know. But St. John Chrysostom is saying something beautiful. He says, as David desired to keep the news of Saul's death from the enemy's ears, so a Christian must resist spreading news of another fail failures or downfall. The point is, is that when I see somebody committed a mistake or somebody failed, I have to be careful about not sharing this news. Because this news sometimes causes others to stumble and to get weaker. Oh, by the way, I saw so-and-so. He, he, I saw him, for example, drunk. And so-and-so is a servant. Now, the people who are listening to me, their ability to fight and reject sin will get weaker because they have seen the great, a great example is fallen. So saying, being, be careful about what you share with people. Be careful about what you share with people. 
A lot of times people are constantly sharing bad news. Constantly sharing bad news. And what happens is when you share constantly bad news, people feel down, doubtful, hopeless. That's against, by the way, the scripture. The scripture says God did not give us a spirit of failure. And we're constantly reinforcing ideas of failures, ideas of doubts. He's saying, do not tell, do not speak of these things. He says, O mountains of Gelbo, this is where Saul was uh, killed, let there be no dew, nor rain upon you, nor fields of offerings, for the, sh for the shield of the mighty is cast away there, the shield of Saul not anointed with oil. He's almost cursing the nature or the place where Saul died. Obviously, here he's reminding them of where Saul has fallen. He's reminding them of the, the, the enemy is. But he's also reminding them that Saul, the shield of Saul, not anointed with oil. It means this is the time where Saul no longer had the, the, his role as a king anymore. This is where his role ended because he was anointed by the Holy Spirit to be a king. Okay? He says, he says what? He says, from the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. So he's telling them that Saul and Jonathan, they fought the enemies of God. They made us safe. Be careful. This is what David sees in Saul and Jonathan. And this is a good example for us. If I sit and think about the person that I'm not happy with, or I have grudges against, or I'm angry with, and I start writing all down the things that I appreciate in them, I will find myself looking differently at them. Here he's saying, he's saying, look, he says, they used to protect us. I mean, this is obvious. They have to protect you. This is the king and his son. But he sees it as a big thing. He says, they fought the enemies of God. And by the way, a side, a side note I want to tell you. People who risk their life for a country or for a nation or for a people, they deserve a lot of respect. Of course, sometimes people join the army or join the air force, whatever it is, not with the intention to die. But there's always, they know that they're taking a lot of risk. And I think it's a good habit here in our beautiful country when you see a soldier walking to Starbucks or walking somewhere else and people will pay for them or appreciate them. That is very nice because it makes me see people from the eyes of God. This person is risking his life or her life for my safety and my people's safety. And I'm showing an appreciation. So he's saying, from the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. There, there was, in the, in the old days, the, the soldiers used to put oil on their, so, uh, on their swords, so it's kind of soft and they can, they, can, they can kill quickly. He's saying that Saul and Jonathan used to actually use it with the, with the, with the oil that comes from the body of the enemies. That was, their, that was their, how strong they were. Saul and Jonathan are beloved and pleasant in their lives. And in their death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. 
The first time that David is thinking and thinking about Jonathan, the number one quality he respected in Jonathan first was his loyalty to his father. Even though you might think about this as strange because Saul wanted to kill David. And Saul was a little bit of you know, doing strange things all over the place. But David said his loyalty to his father. Why? It is easy to be loyal to a good leader. But it's very hard to be loyal to somebody who's difficult. Like this guy. He still worked with him. I still tried to help him. It's not easy what Jonathan, said, what Jonathan did. That's why in the New Testament, God said, we're not going to love, if you love those who love you, what reward for you? Don't the don't tax collector and the sinners do the same? If you are a child of God, you do something different. And you'll notice here that David is not trying to magnify Jonathan and belittle Saul. It's actually the opposite. He's highlighting Saul even though Jonathan was closer to him. But he appreciated the role that Saul held, the responsibility that he took. You know, when you have uh, any responsibility in life, you always are subject to criticism. The more responsibility you have, the more criticism you receive. So David was aware that Jonathan was hiding under his father. But if Jonathan maybe would have been a king, who knows what he would do. He respected and honored Saul and saw him for a beautiful eye. He said they were strong, they were fast. Obviously, all these songs, by the way, it's also good for the soldiers as they hear them. It gives them kind of energy when they go to war. They know their ancestors were strong, were fast, were proud. They were loyal to each other. They loved each other. See, this is a sense of identity that David is building in his military. O daughter of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with luxury, who put ornament of gold on your apparel. You guys remember when Saul started his kingdom, they only had two swords in the whole kingdom. And later on, Saul built a strong army through the grace of God, and there's hundreds of thousands of people, and he started building some structure. So he's saying, a lot of your richness that you received was because of the work of Saul. Here, he's trying to bring the positivity out. To bring unity, to bring identity. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. He says, he says here, he could obviously he, he couldn't imagine, or he's saying, how did this happen? Because you guys know in the in the war, uh, Saul put a sword to himself and killed himself. So he says, how how the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan was slain on your high places. This is, he's talking to people of Jerusalem. I'm distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, 
surpassing the love of woman. So David here started a little bit to focus more on his relationship with Jonathan. He's telling him, our love for each other surpasses the love of woman. What does he mean by this? What happens when people get married? The most important aspect of marriage is trust. You trust each other with everything. Finances, your sickness, your health, everything. So he's saying the loyalty and the trust and the faithful, faithfulness that I had with Jonathan was more than I had with my spouse. And you guys remember, Jonathan saved him multiple times from his father. And Jonathan risked his life to save David. Even a spouse, spouse might not show the same trust to her husband as Jonathan showed to David. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. Obviously, here when he's talking about the weapons of war, it's more he's talking about the, the treasury of the state. The financials, the, whip, the weapons of war is not only just the weapons they're fighting with, but actually the, the budget for their wars and everything. He says, how the mighty have fallen, how the weapons of war were bankrupt. After Saul and Jonathan died, were bankrupt. David honored Saul, the first anointed of God. And then honors Jonathan, his best friend, follows a certain structure, a certain order that everybody would ex expect for honoring the king first and then his son. It is very important to look at this and take a, you know, a moment to reflect on our own life and how we view people. Because many people live in prisons of hatred and judging and grudges. Many people are not able to accept the person in front of us. I've told them many times to change, but they're not changing. Well, part of it, I have to accept them. Part of it, I have to love them. I'm not loving a future version of them. I'm loving who they are today. Because God loved me the way I am today. He's not waiting for me to change to love me. And first John, he says, hey, now, now, today, beloved, you are the children of God. Not when you repent, not when you become holy, today. The way you are, you are a child of God. Also, it's very important for us to speak highly of our spouses, of our co-servants, of the people around us. When people see our love for each other, it will speak volumes more than anything else. I was talking yesterday with one of the youth and we were talking about Abuna Bshoy Kamil and Abuna Tadros and Abuna Lua. And one of the things that we're talking about, we're talking about how their love for each other is what made their service so successful. I mean, they love God so much, obviously, but they're, and each one of us should strive to love those whom they serve with, whom they work with, as much as these people loved each other. Now it happened after this that David, uh, chapter 2, inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, Where shall I go up? He said to Hebron. So what's happening here? If you guys remember, David 
was sitting in Palestine. He just, he just repented. He defeated the Amaleks. He got his family back. And now Judah is where David is from. This is his family. So now Israel has no king. There's one child of Saul, and we're going to see what's going to happen with him. So David is asking God, what should I, what should I do next? Okay? Now, David, if you guys remember, David still had with him Abithar. And Abithar was a priest. And remember, guys, I told you, the priest had what we call the ephod, and on it there were two stones, and he can ask a question, and it will be answered. And also another method where he can get he can get uh, an answer if he wants to know what city. There's, there's a sacred lot that he can, he can use to figure out what city of Judah he can go to. So these were the methods. So the stones, when they ask God a question, yes or no question, one of the stones will light. That's how would they know the answer is yes or no. If he's figuring out what city of Judah he will go to, most likely they've used a sacred lot to kind of help them to figure out what city he goes to. Okay? If you guys remember also earlier, God told David, I want you to stay in Judah. And every time David stays in Judah, he faces difficulties, but he sees miracles. Every time David is outside Judah, he commits a lot of sins, and he stays away from God. But God told him, yes, I've been telling you to go to Judah all your life. But now he's coming in. God, should I go? Yes, you should go. Which place? Hebron. Hebron was about 19 miles southwest of Jerusalem. It was the center of Judah. Okay? So David went up there, and his two wives also, Ahinomam, the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David brought up the men who were with him, every man with his household, so they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. Finally, David is making a permanent change in his life. I will move to Judah with all my families. Before, his commitment to Judah was not fully. I will commit, but not 100%. I'll commit, but not. What does it mean? I commit, but not 100%. Like a lot of times when you talk to people, they say, Yes, I want to go to church more. I want to read the Bible more. I want to confess more. Once they show up to church, they can't wait to leave. Once they open the Bible, they can't wait to finish. Once they stand up to pray, they want to close quickly. Here, he decided. A commitment to be where God wanted him to be. It's not simply what I want. It is a commitment. A lot of you guys are committed to school. What is that committed to school means? It means if I'm going to have to pull all-nighter, if I'm going to be stressed, if I'm going to spend like so many hours to school, I will still pull through. A commitment. When it comes to God, it's becoming more of what David was doing earlier. Mm, I stay for a little bit. I leave. I stay. I leave. I go leave the Hebron. I sin a lot. I come back. I repent. I leave again. Back and forth. Until finally he started to make a permanent change. Where he, what, how did he do the permanent change? He brought everything he has in. One of the things that people commonly mistake is that they come, repent, and confess, and leave. And they don't make any physical changes in their life. What have you changed since last confession? You wake up at the same time, you sleep at the same time, you eat the same food, you watch the same things, you listen to the same music, you hang out with the same people. What have you changed? 
if I have not changed anything, then it's hard for me to expect something different. Now, he brought in Ahinomim, it's from Jerzal. By the way, Ahinomim is also from the, from the area of Judah, from the south. So his two wives were, were from Judah. This obviously David, his lawyer to his family. The other thing is David brought in all the men who were with him. If you guys remember, Judah, uh, David had about 600 men. Who were these 600 men, if you guys remember? They were out the outcast of the city. Those who could not pay debts, those who had problems. He brought them around him and he became their leader. Now as David is becoming a king, he's showing loyalty to those people who were with him over this time. And hopefully these people became better over time. And a character of a good Christian leader and a good Christian man is loyalty. Loyalty to his family, loyalty to his friends, loyalty to people around him. It's a good character, loyalty. Because it shows a sign of love and commitment. Then the men of Judah came and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah and they told David saying, the men of Jabesh Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. So the elders of Judah, you guys remember every tribe has elders, every tribe has families and within these families they pick somebody to become an elder leader. So the elders came and anointed David a king over Judah only. This is one tribe. You guys remember I told you David was anointed three times. The first time is by Samuel. This is the second time by, by Judah, only in the area of Judah. But this is not really the anointment of God. Already God anointed him a long time ago. This is more inauguration, more celebration. Like he already won the votes a long time ago. This is just like eh, the events that he wants, that he should. And usually the, the prophet is the one who should anoint the king of God. Now, when David became a king, the elders of Judah came, uh, Judah told him, come become a king over us. He says, yes, I will become, because he knew this was the voice of God. He did not run after the kingdom. You know, anybody could say, this is a perfect chance for you. You should collect your soldiers and go destroy the kingdom. Wrong means, the, sorry, the purpose does not justify wrong means. The purpose does not justify wrong, wrong means. It's not because I, I, I love somebody, I let them do whatever they want, and I, sh I don't care for their salvation okay wrong the purpose does not justify wrong means it's not because I love somebody I go sin with them so I could make sure them that I care this is this is something that that is important to keep in mind so David waited for people to come and for God's plan to work out and that's why when he becomes a king he will have a lot of credibility if you force yourself onto leadership position you never, will never be somebody who will inspire. He waited until God put him in the same place. So David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh Gilead and said to them, You are blessed of the Lord, for you have shown this kindness to your Lord, to Saul, and have buried him. Just a quick review. If you guys remember last, last two chapters, in the end of 1 Samuel, Saul's body, the Philistines took it and put it against the wall. So the people of Jabesh Gilead took it, and they honored it, and they buried so David is telling those people who buried Saul, I want to work with you. I want to work with you. What you have done to your master, 
is good loyalty. And people who are loyal to somebody when they are dead, you know they are good loyal people. Because they are not waiting for anything else. Okay? So now, so now many, uh, and now may the Lord show kindness and truth to you. I will repay you this kindness because you have done this thing. So he's telling them, because you showed soul this kindness, I will also show you this kindness. And sometimes, when we reward good behavior over loyalty to us, we promote good principles. We promote good principles in life. I had, uh, I had one person who came to me and was talking to me and, and told me, Abuna, I was praying the liturgy uh, at St. Mary's and one of the fathers had a very, very nice voice and I was wondering if you could connect me with him. So I connected him with this father and he asked this Abuna, I told him, what liturgies do you pray? Because I want to pray with you. Because Abuna, it wasn't me, don't worry. But it was, it was, he, he was asking him, like, I want to connect with you to, to pray the liturgy. So Abuna answered him and told him, I don't want you to be attached to coming and pray with me. I want you to come and pray for God. Any, anybody could be happy, you know, somebody's coming for me. But he's promoting good principles. By the way, this is the type of personality that tends to have confidence. The ones that promote good principle. Okay? So David here also, he's doing something good. When he saw good behavior, he started building good network between people. Christians are supposed to win people with wisdom and networking and good relationships and showing gentleness and, 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 and encouraging good behavior. Christians are not supposed to be isolated. And we see David here winning a lot of people. Now therefore let your hands be strengthened and be valiant for your master's soul is dead and also the house of Judah has anointed me a king over him. So he's telling them, stay ready because you know, I'm going to need you. We're going to be, we're going to work together. Now, I want to tell you guys just something small. The people of Japash Galead were not part of Judah. They were part of Israel. So when David tried to make a connection with them, this could also make whoever is leading in Israel, which we're going to see soon, upset. Because you're trying to build it working with a small colony, obviously not with the overall king. So we'll see what happened now. But Abiner, the son, the, the son of Nir, this is the commander of Saul's army, took Ashibosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him to Mahihayim, uh, and he made him king over Gilead, over Ashtarites, over Jezreel, and Ephraim, over Benjamin, and over all Israel. So what happened here, Saul died, three of his children died, he only had one son left. So who's going to run the show? The commander of the army, Abinir. So Abinir brought this kid, told him, look, you're supposed to be a king. I'm going to make you a king. Obviously, this is sometime danger when we take on something that we're not qualified for. This person was not qualified to be a king. This is, this is going to be a problem. So he sent him over all these areas. Gilead is the Transjordan area of Israel. It's maybe close to 
the Emirates, uh, the Jeshurites, this is the uh, Palestinian territory, Jezreel is where the Samaritan area is, Ephraim is the land of Israel, and so on. So he set them basically over all the lands of Israel. Okay? Now, the head of the army is basically controlling everything. Then, Ashishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel. And he reigned two years. Only the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was a king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. I was thinking about this the other day. If Ashbosheth, one of the sons of Saul, was about 40 years old, most likely David was probably at this time in his early 30s. He's actually very young. And he spent about a good period of 10 years running in the jungles and running here and running there in a time where he went through difficulties that any child in his age could not bear. He didn't have his family supporting him. His parents kind of washed their hands because of Saul. And the only thing that made him strong was his relationship with God. Now here, Ashbosheth was a king for only two years, and there's a period will be like a transition where there's nobody else. And then what happened is David continued to be a king over only Judah. David is not trying to say, I have a claim to this, because most people already know by now that David was anointed by Samuel to be a king. He did not do any of this stuff. Did not try to pursue it. He started kind of standing from far, waiting for the right time to do it the right way. To do it the right way. Now, Abinir, the son of Ner, the servants of Ashibosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Meniahem to Gabon. So I was telling you, when David reached out to Jabesh Goliad, which is an area under David, it seems like the commander of the army was getting angry. Because how could you reach out to a colony that's part of us? Okay? So Abner is taking all the decisions without going back to the king. Because he's in control. And Joab, the son of Zoraya, the servants of David, went out and met them by the pool of Gabion. So they sat down, one on, the, one, on one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. Zoraya, she's a female. She's a sister of David. She had three children. One of them, the middle child, Joab, was the commander of David's army. So the commanders of David's army is meeting the commander of the Israel army. This is civil war. They all are Jewish. The tribe of Judah is fighting all Israel. So what's going to happen? Then Abinar said to Joab, let the young men now rise and compete before us. And Joab said, let them rise. So they arose and went over by number 12 from Benjamin, followers of Ashubash, the son of Saul, and twelve from the servants of David. And each one grasped his opponent by the head and thrust his sword on his opponent's side. So they fell together. Therefore, that place was called the Field of Sharp Swords, which is in Gabon. So what happened? Abinir and Joab are standing in front of each other. I told them, look, instead of war, bring me twelve people. I bring you twelve people. They fight each other out, and whoever wins, wins. So apparently, everybody was trying to, you know, get the head of his opponent, you know, and everybody has a free hand with a knife or a sword, so they're trying to reach each other out, and then they all killed each other. Each, as you stab, as this person was being stabbed, the other person stabbed them. So this happened 
with all, 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 the, all the 12 people. So 24 people died. Both sides lost. Why is this important? Because when we start fighting within our homes, within our services, everybody loses. Really, the devil is the enemy. Once we start standing against each other and forget the goal, and we fight, by the way, both of them have the same goal. They want the kingdom of Israel. They want to fulfill the law. They want everything. But what they're fighting over is power. Once we start fighting over power, and who has control, and who has what, then we all lose. Nobody wins. We all lose. Nobody wins. So there was a very fierce battle that day. And Abinir, the man of Israel, and Abinir, and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. Now three sons of Zuriah were there were Joab, Abishai, and Ashal. And Ashal was as, as, as Ashal was as fleet of foot as a wild gazelle. So after the twenty-four died, they did not learn. They continued to fight. And by the way, if you look at people's life. Most of it is drama. Most of it is concerned about what other people do and what other people did and what this person did and what this person did. And even people learn that they wasted so much energy on nonsense, they still go back to it. Nothing new. So, as I was telling you, Zoraya had three, th three, uh, three sons. One of them was... Uh, 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 one of them, Ashal, he was very fast. He says his foot was as wild as a gazelle. It means he really ran really fast. Okay? Uh, Ashal was the youngest. See what Ashal did. So Ashal pursued Abinir, and in going, he did not turn to the right hand or to the left from following Abinir. And Abinir looked at him and said, Are you Ashal? He answered, Yes, I am. And, Ab and Abinir said to him, Turn aside to your right or to your left and lay hold of one of the young men and take his armor for yourself. But Ashal would not turn aside from following him. So Abinir said to Ashal, Turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I face your brother Joab? So what's happening? They had a fight. And then Abinir, the guy from Israel, he started running. So the younger brother of, the, of Joab, he started running so fast. And his main focus is to kill Abinir. Daman. This is important. I want you to think about this. Why? This is the difference between Abinir is a commander of the army of Saul. This guy has so much experience. He knows what he's doing, strategy, everything. This guy, one of the most intelligent commanders ever. And then you have this little kid. His quality is he's very fast. Obviously, Abinir is not as fast as Abishal. Abishal runs really quickly. He's a still young kid. All right? And Abishal, because of he's a child, you know, sometimes people, when they're young, they think they can defeat the whole world, right? We have all these big dreams. So he runs so fast, and his main focus is to kill one of the greatest commanders of Israel. Running so fast. Not looking left, not looking right. And sometimes you have to slow down. Because what you're doing is things that when faced with people who have experience, you will go nowhere. He's running, 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 running really fast. And then Abinir told him, look, man, 
I don't want to kill you today. Take one of the soldiers here, kill him and go home and be happy because I don't want war between me and your brother. Basically, that's what he's telling him. You know, like you're excited, you're young and you're happy and all this stuff and you're fast and a good job. Just go kill a couple of people, go home and let this war end. I don't want to kill you because if he kills him, then the, he's going to have enmity between him and his brothers. Now, however, he refused to turn aside. This is a big mistake between a lot of time with the young people. They want to make quick decision, quick decision, quick decision, quick decision. Tab, hold on, ask somebody, take somebody's opinion. Rushing, 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 and then you end up making very bad decisions. And then sometime you make bad decisions, come back, where is God? I prayed, you were running like a gazelle. Your prayer was probably as fast as you're running. However, he refused to turn aside, therefore Abiner struck him in the stomach with the blunt end of the sphere, so that the sphere came out of his back, and he fell down there and died on the, in the spot. And it was that as many as came to this place where Ashal fell down and died stood still. This is an example of uncontrolled pride. A little kid who thought he's going to get the head of the commander. And he overestimated his own skills. And in no time he died. A lot of times the Bible says before people are broken, they are prideful. Before people are broken, they are prideful. So people came, all the Israelites who were running after Abinir, when they saw one of the, the, the brother of the commander of the Judah army dead, they all stood, they didn't know what to do. So Joab and Abishai also pursued Abinur, and the sun was going down when they came to the hill of Amaha, which is before Gea, by the road of the wilderness of Gabon. Now the children of Benjamin gathered together behind Abinir and came, and became a unit and took their stand on top of the hill. So all the soldiers of Israel came and looking at Abinir. And then Abinir called to Joab and said, Shall the sword devour forever? Do not, don't you know that it will be bitter in the later end? How long will it be then until you tell the people to return from pursuing their brethren? So Abinir, when his unit gathered together, he saw Joab and his brother coming to fight. I just want to tell you guys something small. Abinir, he's the one who started this war. He's the one who went to Judah to pursue it. But Abinir realized the mistake he made. I'm fighting my own people and this war will never end. So he came to Joab and told him, shall the sword devour forever? This will not end well. If we keep fighting each other, this will not end well. And this is a good wisdom. And we talked about it a lot today, the idea of fighting within brothers. But there's one other idea I want you to keep in mind. Abinir, out of all his experience, he learned when he should exit. He learned when he should what? Exit. A lot of times we make decisions and I make a commitment and then later on it seems that I need to exit. I need to exit this business deal. I need to exit this relationship. Well, you're going to lose some. Yes. 
but I'm willing to lose at this point. Otherwise, long term, it will have a big consequences on me. Abinir, because of his experience, man of war, he learned when to exit. He did not make it that far, being the commander of Israel, without running away from battle a few times. Without, without knowing that this battle is losing. I'm losing this battle. I have to leave. And this is why in life, things require a lot of wisdom. Because sometimes I need to persevere and to commit. And sometimes I need to exit. And one of the bigger factors that helps me to take the right action beside to prayer is humility because out of pride I could make a lot of wrong actions and I continue in the, long, in the wrong ways because I don't want to look like I made the wrong decisions okay? but God willing next time we will continue to see what happened and how David became a king I want to tell you something before we conclude and this whole chapter right now, this whole chapter that we're going to read is going to show us how the next four chapters is going to show us how David became a king over all Judea and Israel. And in all this, there is one common theme. It shows that David became a leader in a very evil world and still God fulfilled his plans, even though it did not seem possible. God used all the evil of the people and it's still his plan for David to become a king purely. When David depended on God, he did not commit a single mistake until he became a king. When he committed, became a king, he made some mistakes. But this period was a period of he was carried by God. Everything happening around him seems a lot. But then at the end, God brought him to where he wanted him to be. And all the evil disappeared and turned into what good to fulfill the plans of God. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.